Today's uh, message is life on God's terms, life on God's term, terms, and we're looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17, and I'll be reading from the Message Bible. With the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved, and we're going we're gonna to read a little later what that fateful, fateful dilemma is. But those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under the, a continuous, low-lying black cloud. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition, entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now that the law code asked for, now what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of um, redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. Those who think they can do it on their own end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find that God's Spirit is in them, living and breathing God. Obsession with self in these matters is a dead end. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in self ignores God, ends up thinking more about self than God. That person ignores who God is and what he is doing. And God isn't pleased at being ignored. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but certainly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him, in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, your personal experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does, as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from the dead, from that dead life with his spirit living in you. Your body will be as alive as Christ. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. Greeting God with childlike, what's next, Papa, 
That's what Jackson calls me, Papa. What's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are. We know who He is and we know who we are, father and child. Excuse me, father and children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. (laughs) Isn't that exciting? (laughs) So as we read these passages and we read the scriptures, we find out that God is at work doing a new thing. God is trying to get us to see things in a more complete manner. You may have noticed in the last few weeks I've been kind of taking uh, sections of scripture and just speaking about them as kind of like a textual sermon uh, based upon what the scripture is saying and putting it in in the context of what how it was written and things like that. Uh, so I've been focusing on that for a while, you know, after sometimes you, 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 um, you write sermons on topics and you, you find topics and then you have topics and texts and how they fit together and you build a, a message around the text. Well, in the last few weeks or so, I've been kind of looking at sections of scripture and kind of going through them verse by verse. And that's what we're going to do today. But as we look at this, and, and there's a couple of things that we see in this, in this, oh, there's many things that we see in this section, but the, the idea of life on God's terms. Did any of you notice in the newspaper yesterday, yesterday morning, on the back page, there was this lady who had found her family? You know, do you see that? Uh, a lady was looking for her birth family, and there's a whole article written on her, her search and her desire to find her family. And um, so much of what we are, so much of who we are as individuals is taken for granted. And the old adage that nothing is missed till it is gone is very true. Uh, Sometimes we have the idea if we're doing it, it can't be that important. (laughs) If we have it, it can't be that valuable. But that's not true. There are so many things and so many good things involved in our life that we sometimes take them for granted. We sometimes don't see the value we have with what we possess. The value of even, of even sitting and hearing the word of, of, of God read, read to us. And how the, the, the Spirit of God can take the simple passages that we've heard seemingly week in and week out in the Sunday school lessons and in the Bible readings that you have. We look at these things and we, we don't realize the impact it has upon us and upon our families. It has a great impact. Whether we know it or not, it has a great impact. And it's important that we see the value that is here in in the Word of God and in being here and singing and and doing the whole part of of what we do with our family. Because God never wants us to doubt His relationship to us. See, God never wants us to doubt His relationship to us. You know, in the newspaper, the ladies had to go and find her family. Well, we have here that God never wants us to doubt who we belong to, who our family is, where our family is going, and where our relationship is going with him. Now, in chapter uh, 7, verses 21 to 23, this is, these are the verses that precede 
Remember whenever it starts off, and, and, and with the arrival of Jesus as Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. So what is the fateful dilemma? The fateful dilemma is in verse 21. It says, It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. So <laughs> the times of, of when Paul was writing to the church at Rome is not that much different than us. You know, how many times have we tried to do good? How many, how many have made New Year's resolutions and never make it out of January? <laughs> you never make it through the first week, you know? So when we look at this, there's so many times that we decide to do good, but we always get tripped up. So this is the problem. Sin is there to trip us up. I truly delight in God's commands, Paul is telling us, but it's pretty obvious that not, not all of me joins in with that delight. There's parts of me covertly, covertly rebelling. <laughs> it's a covert rebel. There's something in part, there's something that's part of me that just kind of sabotages the whole thing. Verse 24. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope, and is there, is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. Hmm. So Jesus Christ can and does come into our life to help us deal with those covert operations in our own, in our own life that, that end up tripping us up in our, in our spiritual life when our, in our attempts to do good. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions when I want to serve God with all my heart and mind but am pulled by the influences of sin to do something totally different. So that fateful dilemma of wanting to do the right thing and not getting it done, that dilemma has been resolved. Wow. Life on God's terms. You know, wanting to do right, but pulled to the doing some things that are not quite right. So that covertly rebel inside of us that covertly thinking that goes on that tries to get us to fall and trip up, something needs to happen. So in this life of contradictions, you know, wanting to do good and not, being pulled by the influencers, something has to happen. We have to kind of pull back and see life on God's terms. We studied about this in the Sunday School lesson God wrote a contract. There was an old contract and a new contract. We called them Old Testament, New Testament. And we are right in the middle of the new contract. We are right in the middle of this new agreement that God has written. This new agreement that God has written has purpose for us in this life now and rewards for us in the life to come, heaven. Now, chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. With the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, the fateful dilemma is resolved. This contradiction that goes on inside of us, this conflict between right and wrong, the desire to do good and not doing it, that Paul is saying, it's resolved. There is a solution. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under continuous, low-lying black cloud. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who live in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. 
No condemning nature. It means that when Christ has forgiven us of our sin, there is no continuous ongoing condemnation. There is no low-lying black cloud that says, you're not good enough. There is no lying black cloud that says, dark cloud, that says you can't make it, you can't do it, you're not good, you don't have the talent, you don't have the... That isn't the nature of God and that is not who we are in Christ. That's all gone. How did it happen? A new power is an operation. There's a new power in operation. And the Spirit of Christ, and I like this picture says we're no longer under a low-lying black cloud. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, blown out the black cloud, the dark cloud. The storm cloud of doubt has been blown away by Christ, freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny. A fated lifetime. Fated. It's just fate that you live under this circumstance. It's fate. You know, we don't believe in fate. We believe in choice. <laughs> we believe in the will of God and the purpose of God. And there, there is a will that God wants us to follow and it is His word. And here in the middle of this new agreement is the word made flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ. He is alive inside of us and He is freeing us from a fated lifetime of tyranny at the hands of sin and death. We no longer live under the tyranny of sin. We no longer live under the tyranny of death. Fear of death and dying no longer uh, abides within us. We have life in Christ and we have it now and we have it for eternity, not based upon who we are but on who Christ is. We no longer live under this. A new power is an operation. There is a new power in town. <laughs> There's a new gunfighter in town. <laughs> and it isn't me. <laughs> there is a new power in town. And it is Jesus Christ. And you know what? Lies always ride the back of truth. Error always rides the back of truth. Now, how does guilt and condemnation work? It works by telling us an element of truth. The accuser, the accusations may be true. You did fail. You did sin. You did make a mistake. You have done wrong. See, that's all true. That's the low-lying dark cloud, the storm. But what happens? Christ, the strong wind, blows it out. It says that the, the accusers, the accuser, and the accusation are thrown out. The enemy of our soul, the enemy of our life, has been defeated by Christ. So you see, we no longer live under what we did because those things are forgiven. <laughs> those things are gone. Paul wrote to the church at Rome telling him the same thing that we need to hear. We no longer live under a condemning low cloud of guilt and manipulation. It's gone. 
The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently, I like that word, magnificently cleared the air and freed from sin. Freed from sin. Its guilt, its condemnation, its lies, its efforts, its effects have been... Everybody go... I didn't do that very well, did you? You did brush your teeth, right? Okay, all right, right, okay. All right, you don't have to... You don't have to yeah, you're not too windy today. On three, we're going to all just go... One, two, three... All right, it's blown away. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll come out the gum, the gum in people's back of their hair. Yeah. He said blow, not spit gum. <laughs> Get the, you have the understanding? A strong wind blew it away. All right, all right. Verse 3. God went for the jugular. <laughs> and we know the jugular veins, the main, the main artery. Keep, you know, you cut your jugular, chances of survival are slim to none. So, God went for the jugular when he sent his son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. God didn't stand in heaven somewhere and say, you know, we need to do something about them people down there. No. He became personally involved. Why? He sent his son. He, God, came to be with us. He personally took on the human condition. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He became, he came, birth of Christ. Virgin conceived and bare a son. His name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. God became us so we could become like him. He defeated Death, hell, and the grave. He defeated the sin. He defeated the things that... What was the word? Covertly attack and twist up and and come into our lives to cause us to stumble and fall. He entered into the disordered mess of struggling humanity. For what reason? To set it right once and for all. God came to set it right, make it right, once and for all. You see, the law failed to do this. The law of the Ten Commandments, weakened as it was by a fractured human nature. I like that word, fractured. Um, Not that I want a fractured bone, (laughs) broken bone. But we have a fractured human nature. And and I don't look at fractured as like a, uh, you take a clay pot and you throw it on the ground and it busts all up. I look at it, you remember the, the, the Liberty Bell has a, has a crack in it, right? And it isn't busted, it's a fractured. There's a break in it. The break in human nature is that we were created to walk with God and be one with Him, but sin came and broke the human nature, cracked it, fractured it, and broke it so that it's not connected. And God came to what? Put it back together again. He came to heal the human nature so that the covert operations of sin would not continue to work in the lives of individuals and they would be healed to the point where God's nature could live in us. You see, the law couldn't do it. Law doesn't change heart. 
Law changes actions, governs actions, but law doesn't change the heart. God sent his son in the likeness of flesh like us so that we could become one with him and he with us and heal that fractured nature. The law always ends up being a (laughs) band-aid. You know, they can solder the bell, but it will never, ever have the quality of sound it had before the fracture. But when God comes in, he heals the fracture to the point that we can become exactly what God intended for us to be. And his spirit comes in and blows away that sinful nature, that sinful things that would destroy us. He has come to what? To take it out, to to get it out, take it out. God's going to take it out, you know. He's going to get rid of it, remove it from our life, whereas the law can only govern what we do. God has come to to heal the brokenness, the fracture of our soul, and give us hope so that we can be the original quality person that he intended us to be. Verse 5. Those who think they can do it on their own (laughs) end up obsessed with measuring their own moral muscle. You ever hear people talk about, you know, they, they, I remember, I've been in church all my life, right? I hear many stories about people, um, Putting together a form of righteousness. The idea is that you've got to dress a certain way, you've got to act a certain way, you've got to do certain things if you're going to come to our church. You know, that, that's, that's not what I'm saying. That's what other people have done. I remember a long time ago, an individual met some of the youth of his church and met him at the door and told him to go home. If they didn't get dressed up, they couldn't come to church. <laughs> you know, I always love that. When people set certain standards... Uh, that they themselves and that person himself was arrested for um, receiving two social security checks and and uh, and uh, and uh, robbing the government. So there's an individual greeting someone at the door, telling them they couldn't come to his church, <laughs> his church, uh, dressed the way they were, and he himself was <laughs> arrested because he was taking receiving two social security checks. You see. They who, and, and, and they're obsessed with, more, uh, with measuring their own moral muscle, never get around to exercising it in real life. They have a form of understanding what God is about, but they really don't get it. And see, we often are tripped up by those types of individuals. Never be tripped up by a person like that. You know, they have, they're trying to make it on their own, their own moral muscle. But, they ne- but what they are trying to do never really trans- transfers to the real life situation of being able to be more than a conqueror in Christ. And that person failed miserably. But they were trying to put people in a, in a box. doesn't work. It's sad. Um, I've used this story Sunday ni- uh, Wednesday night this morning in Sunday school, and I'll do it again. There was an individual who had... <laughs> A, um, a very little understanding of God and of church and of the scriptures. And they were facing a very life crisis in their life. And they were trying to exercise their own moral muscle by trying to find God and trying to find a solution 
to what they're, you know, for their problems, okay? And a person came to me and told me about their belief in God, and they were not interested in how and what I felt, but they were interested in telling me what they had found out. And they told me, and this is a true story, they told me that a praying mantis had somehow gotten into their house and had prayed for them, and now everything was going to be okay. Okay? <laughs> a praying mantis. <laughs> and, you know, they had no, to my knowledge, no experience with church, God, Bible, scriptures. <laughs> Do you see how fortunate you are? That in a crisis of time, you're not going to be looking for a bug? that your search for God is not going to be a thing of sense or of accomplishment or of moral muscle or of not doing or doing certain religious rituals in order to find God and have God come through for you? So here's a person in a crisis of their life was looking for something that was going to prove to them that God was around and it was to them it was finding a praying mantis in their house and thinking that this bug could pray for them and everything was going to be all right in their life. Do you see how far ahead of that type of thinking you are? Why? Because you're here. You've heard the scriptures. The Spirit of God has breathed life into you. And you know that that type of bug isn't going to, isn't going to make a bit of difference in your life. But that person captured it, put it in a box, and took pictures of it, and then set it free because it prayed for their family, and now it was all going to be okay. <laughs> See, those who trust God's actions in them find that God's Spirit is in them, living and breathing God. The living, breathing God is in you. He is alive in you. He has a purpose in you. And attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious life and a free life and a great life. You know, but God, His love and His, His forgiveness and His word are alive in us and all that condemnation and guilt of our past is blown away by the Spirit of God. Those who trust in God's actions find themselves in a place where God's Spirit is living and breathing in them. God's Spirit is living and breathing in them. But Verse 9, But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. There's more to this life than just me and my problems. There's more to this life than just me and my blessings. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed the invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him, in whom he dwells, even though you still experience the limitations of life, you yourselves experience life on God's terms. He has a way of working in our life. Stands to reason that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus. Bringing you alive to himself. 
we have a life that is alive in Christ. (laughs) And it goes on. When God lives and breathes in you, you are delivered from that dead life. The dead life is the life that was under the condemnation of guilt. You see, there is truth. We have sinned. We have all done wrong. But the reality of the life-giving spirit is we ask for forgiveness, God forgives us. We have a new life in Christ, and the breath of God just blows that stuff right out of our life, and we have a new life in Christ. And it is a living Christ. It is a living spirit that is alive in us, and we are delivered from the dead. You and I, you and I, all who are in Christ, will live forever. Why? His Spirit is living in you. Your body will be as alive as Christ. Hmm. Now I have a... <laughs> some of you may want to never know what preacher is going to do, right? There's this song I heard, and it's, it's Johnny Cash's song. And you say, well, John, I invited Johnny Cash to come to church today, but he's dead. But, uh, but he has this song called The Empire of Dirt. And the reason I was attracted to this is underneath the caption for on the, on the YouTube that it talks about how that Paul counted all things but for dung. All that he had known of his previous life was dung, cow manure, compared to the knowledge of knowing Christ. And this song kind of fits right in here. So don't you see that we owe this old do-it-yourself life not one red cent? If you'd play it. Empire of Dirt. And that's what we, you know, no matter what we put together in this life, means absolutely nothing without Christ. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? (laughs) There's nothing in it for us. Nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. (laughs) God's Spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. There is a life to live. And it's that not under the low cloud of sin and guilt and wrong that we have done, but under the forgiveness of what God has accomplished in us. And that old life is gone. The new life is in Christ. This resurrected life, verse 15, this resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's an adventurous, expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? (laughs) What's next, God? It's a life-changing experience. God's Spirit touches our spirit and confirms we are really His. And we know, we know who He is, and we know who we are. We, he is our Father, and we are His child. And we know where we are going to, and we know we are going to get what's coming to us. An unbelievable inheritance. <laughs> we are going to get what's coming to us. An unbelievable inheritance. Because 
All things pass away. Sins are gone. Condemnation and guilt are blown out. And the life-giving Spirit of God is alive in us. Amen? And so this empire of dirt is going to go away. But the life we have in Christ is going to go on forever. Amen? So we go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. It is God who has given us life and eternal life, and it's in us now. Amen? Shall we stand? (laughs) So you don't have to look for a bug in your house. To offer a prayer for you. You don't have to look at your empire of dirt to come through for you. We looked to the saving grace of Jesus Christ and how that he has come into our life to deal with the fractured heart, fractured life, and to get rid of, blow away by his spirit, condemnation, guilt, and bring forgiveness and healing to our life because we live in a life of God's presence. Amen? And He is making a difference in us. And just think of the truth that you have. You don't have to look for a bug. (laughs) We have heard the Word and it is alive in us today. Amen? Father, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us, O Lord, of that fracturedness in our life. Forgive us, O Lord, and heal the brokenness. Bring to life, O Lord, your spirit. Bring to life, O God, your spirit in us. Breathe in us. Breathe into us new life in Christ. Give us hope, O Lord, and every time the clouds come, may the spirit and the breath of God breathe on us and those clouds disappear. For there is no condemnation, no guilt, And the things we have done are forgiven. And we have a new life in Christ. Amen. God bless you.